Warning, this podcast contains bad words and stories about drugs and sex and overthrowing the government. Proceed with caution. Thank you. And now on to our show. Wake up, brother, we got nothing to do. Let's go outside, just me and you, and build a fort. We'll pack a lunch, won't be home till after dark. Then after dinner, we can sneak back out. You know that high school girl I've been telling you about? Well, she gets undressed about a quarter to nine, and we can watch her do it from the big old pie next door. She got a room on the second floor. Well, looks like another fucked up day in paradise. Such a beautiful day. Well, hi. Hi. Getting started, just getting started here. So today I'm going to really just practice enjoying myself offering this podcast. This podcast. Um, well, who am I? My name is Dan Kelly, Shri Fuji Split. And uh, this is uh, the Daughter of Godcast. Oops, hang on a second there. Daughter of Godcast, episode 162, Script Ease. Script Ease. And uh, this is season four, Choice of the Daughter of Godcast. So, releasing uh, two podcasts bi monthly could be called cheating. A weekly podcast should be one episode released per week, right? Well, that paradigm got thrown under the bus a couple months back. And since I make the rules, no harm, no foul. I guess my current listenership might be downtrending due to this decision. Proof, perhaps, that I'm really just podcasting for myself and audiences are incidental. Uh, that, uh, that might be a radical concept, actually. Selfish, selfish podcasting in the supposed attention economy in which we live. Uh, it seems to be about getting attention for yourself from others, but isn't, isn't attending to ourselves introspection kind of the basis for enlightenment or at least not being an asshole? Navel-gazing is not the focus of this episode. However, we had enough of that in episode 161. So we'll wind our way back to spiritual considerations, spiritual considerations in future episodes. For today, let's movie. I, I think I might be a little too hot. Yeah, I think I'm too hot. Too hot. Too hot, lady. Let's check it again. Hang on. Yeah, a little, little too hot. Turn it down just a tad. There we go. Okay, let's try it again. Mmm, mmm. Well, hi. Hi, hi, hi. Let's see, where's my, 
Where's my hair part? There it is. Oh, yeah. Oh. 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 <laughs> it's an amazing, amazing day. A little brisk, crisp, crispy, brisky fall day. Uh, my name is Dan Kelly. Shri Fuji Split. This is the Daughter of Godcast, episode 162, script ease. And this is season four of the Daughter of Godcast. Still season four choice. Um, so releasing two, two podcasts bi-monthly could be called cheating. A weekly podcast should, should be like one episode released per week, right? Well, that paradigm got thrown under the bus gee, a couple months back now. And uh, since I make the rules, no harm, no foul. I guess, though, my current, my current listenership uh, might be downtrending due to this decision. Proof, perhaps, that I'm really just podcasting for myself and audiences are incidental. That might be a radical concept, actually. Selfish podcasting in the supposed attention economy uh, which seems to be about getting attention for ourselves from others. And, and isn't, attending, isn't attending to ourselves introspection kind of the basis for enlightenment, or at least not being an asshole? Navel-gazing is not the focus of this episode, however. We had enough of that back in episode 161. We'll wind our way back to spiritual considerations in future episodes. For today, let's movie. Movie! Yeah, this is going to be a kind of be a fun episode, I think. Um, for me, I'm already having fun. We're doing something a little, a little risky today, a little different. Scripties, scripties, deliberate spelling there, S-C-R-I-P-T-E-A-S-E. I've been hitting the Daughter of God script, letting the puzzle pieces assemble optimally. So script plus ease, which describes my approach. I also like script tease, which means I want to tease you with fragments of the story's current manifestation. The erotic is suggested too by script tease, the taking off of shirts and skirts skirts, blouses, and trousers. Also, scriptese. Scriptese, a dialect or variant of, of English specific to scripts and script writing. Scriptese. Scriptese. I'm enjoying writing this for you. I'm, I'm obviously saying it, but when I wrote this, I was writing it because this is a script, right? Um, I'm enjoying writing this for you, by the way. This is a written and then spoken episode. This whole episode then is scriptees. Okay, whatever. Since Daughter of God is an open source movie, you can get as close to my process as you care to, dare to, by visiting www.yw.movie. Uh, there's a script backstory, and production plans from way back when to the present. The project is languidly exposed for the purient and just plain curious. I'm crafting 
an extended elevator pitch that might happen during a brief blackout. The standard elevator pitch is how a screenwriter or director would summarize their project to a prospect, uh, prospective producer or investor if they were riding together, the director and the prospective producer slash investor, um, if they're riding together on an elevator or in an elevator, not on top of one, but inside of one from the lobby to say the 20th floor where the producer or investor had their offices, office. The director, director has only about 15 to 30 seconds, maybe even less than that, to grab the producer's or the investor's attention. Now, now imagine that you're, you're the producer or the investor and we, me, uh, just stepped onto the elevator with you. And so here's my elevator pitch. I actually give this all the time. People say, oh, you're making a movie. What's your movie about? So I just like blam this out. In a post-apocalyptic universe next door, a young refugee gets a cell phone call from her dead uncle telling her that she is going to give birth to the daughter of God. If she can convince the recluse recluse down the hall to collaborate with her, it will be twice the miracle. Boom. Okay. So intriguing, right? You want to know more, don't you? You're definitely considering taking a meeting with me immediately, perhaps lunch at the 101 coffee shop at 6145 Franklin Avenue in Hollywood, because that's where all the real producers and investors are, right? If you're going to have a meeting with them or in, go to their office. So there's been a power failure though, in the elevator suddenly a power failure. Now what? Now I, I need to do an extended elevator pitch. I got to have this ready to go. So the extended elevator pitch that I'm about to offer here, this is an exercise that I did to try and distill the story down to the basic elements. I've been, I've been changing the script. I've been moving things around. I've been finding new stuff and, and, and the pieces have been kind of falling together. It's kind of weird. Little side note here. It's kind of weird because, uh, I thought, again, I've said this before, I thought I wrote this script, I thought it was done, but stuff keeps showing up. And it's not like, I, I don't feel like I'm adding fat. I don't feel like I'm adding stuff that is just like heavy and, and um, pointless, not pointless, but just, you know, extraneous. Um, I think that it's like these pieces are falling together, these essential pieces are showing up and falling into place still, still. So, um, and I mentioned before, in I think it was last episode or maybe the one before that, whatever, that um, I have to, I have to uh, get this sorted out because the next two scenes are kind of crucial and I really want to have everything sort of figured out and backstory and everything so those scenes really rock and there's no like weird cognitive gaps or, or continuity gaps or story holes. So. I kind of have to do this. Uh, I'm enjoying it for sure, but I, I kind of have to do this right now and just make sure that the script is, is kind of pulled together before I shoot those scenes. Um, so uh, this is an exercise. This, this, this extended elevator pitch is an exercise I did to distill the story that I've been redoing down to its basic elements. And then I can check the flow. Is it actually kind of flowing? So, so just ahead, what else? Um, oh, I think I put something else in there too. Anyway, just ahead, 
a, a total spoiler. This is, the, this is the whole story, pretty much. Um, if you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, uh, you're probably ready for spoilers. You're even maybe itching for some spoilers. Because, you know, this is just me talking, blah, 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 making a movie. Well, whatever. You know, if you don't want to know, though, if you're not interested in hearing the story, pretty much the full story. Again, this is not the movie, though. This is not the script, necessarily. This is, this is kind of an uh, encapsulated version of the movie. Uh, but if you don't want to hear this, then turn this podcast off immediately, okay? Or if you're just reading this, stop reading right now. Yeah, but of course, you wouldn't be listening to this if you were reading it, would you? Maybe you would. Okay, so I'm switching gears here a little bit. Okay, okay. This way we'll be sure to have plenty of availability on the big camera. Do my hair here real quick. Oh, oh yeah, there we go. Okay, have a little water first. Let's get ready. This is the big moment here. Okay. I was gonna do this in the Uncle Joe voice. A sequence of mysterious cataclysms strike the earth. But I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm just going to do it in my regular Dan Kelly, Shri Fuji split voice because, yeah, I got I to gotta be in character for that. And I'm not really in character right now. I'm sitting in my gray, my gray mechanics overalls. And Okay, here we go. So a sequence of mysterious... Have, let's do it again. So start with this. Extended elevator pitch, version one. It's today. October 4th, 2019. A sequence of mysterious cataclysms strike the earth, reducing the human population to around a billion and a half, give or take a million. Fortunately for the survivors, a highly successful and visionary entrepreneur anticipating the coming tribulations set up automated factories and fleets of giant drone airships to produce and deliver relief supplies. The supplies are plentiful and diverse, enabling a modest restart of community and culture. The supplies arrive in hemp board boxes that are coated with a waterproof computational paint that displays animated advertising and useful information in monochrome. This inexpensive paint had covered almost every built or manufactured surface before the world ended. The survivors abandoned the cities and towns for the countryside, with a resurgence of tribal groups sustained initially by the abundant relief boxes and then eventually hunting and gathering. Some survivors enjoy a semblance of pre-apocalyptic comfort by maintaining big boats with electrical and plumbing infrastructure. There are rumors of military and state enclaves, enclaves deep underground. What is not generally known is that the apocalypse was engineered by a secret spiritual elite, the clique. From the clique's enlightened perspective, Earth is a sort of theme park where divinity comes to play, dreaming of limitation in, in time and space. The dream of limitation inspires new desire, which drives a constant expansion of the divine. The clique, 
themselves are cosmic insomniacs. The soporific and forgetful qualities of Earth have little effect on them. Long-lived and stupendously gifted, they rise to the heights of power and art. The clique see themselves as the stewards of Earth. For the clique, death doesn't exist. Visitors to theme park Earth just ride the monorail back to the parking lot and eventually they'll be back for more adventures. Suffering and pain are what give the adventure spice and help inspire desire which expands divinity. The clique have no concept of good and evil. Over countless millennia of human history, the clique have harvested and stockpiled troves of miraculous technologies. They are able to shift their apparent age at will and occasionally try on a new gender or ethnicity. Theme Park Earth is analogous to the human game as described by our hero, Alan Watts, my hero that is, the fashionable, fashionable obsession uh, with existence as simulation has clique origins. Theme Park Earth is a simulation of limitation for the pleasure and play of the Godhead, which, by the way, is us, all of us. We created Theme Park Earth and relish our explorations here, there. So there were two stories told about the depopulation. For the functionaries of the clique, politicians, clerics, generals, and A-list actors uh, who were not themselves among the awakened, the massive depopulation was supposed to restore the planetary life support system by fostering wilderness, thus ensuring the long-term survival of the human race. These functionaries were promised a safe haven to ride out the apocalypse. For the clique themselves, depopulation is about improving the mechanism of divine expansion by creating a more intense and vivid dream for the remaining sleepers. They also assume that insomniacs like themselves were the obvious next step in human evolution. And as divinity gradually respawned back into the human game after the apocalypse, there would be a steady increase in non-sleepers. So, there are awakened humans who want nothing to do with the clique, but they're not players in the larger scheme of things. They mostly meditate on mountaintops or pitch tents on the streets of Chicago or L.A. Within the clique, there are a few outliers, tricksters and double agents, who only pretend to be interested in stewardship, responsibility, or making improvements in the cosmos. Uncle Joe is one of these. He loves having fun and doesn't see sleeplessness as any hindrance. He runs with the clique because that's his biggest opportunity for fun, for surprise. He delights in turning the clique's master plan upside down. Joe proposes to his peers in the clique a method to induce a sleepless respawn the daughter of God. Success with this project will ensure that most mostly woke humans will be born. Now let's try that again. Success with this project will ensure that mostly woke humans will be born after the apocalypse. The clique feel this, the clique feel Uncle Joe's idea is interesting, but ultimately 
unnecessary, as they assume the sleepless humans will be inevitable after a massive respawn. The clique allow Joe and his team to tinker with incarnating their daughter of God as long as Joe handles his primary assignment to orchestrate the cataclysms that will result in the global depopulation. Under the cover of the Daughter of God project, Joe is able to retarget the cataclysms to take out most of the clique and their functionaries while mitigating the overall death toll. Over a billion humans survived the apocalypse, about a billion and a half, give or take a million, uh, more than twice the population the clique had intended to survive. The clique themselves dropped from hundreds of thousands to less than 10,000, and they were pretty much scattered and disorganized. So Joe continues with his plan to incarnate at least one, if not several daughters of God, saviors to immunize the remaining people from future clique control. He has been grooming multiple mothers, pairing them with consorts and setting them up, setting them up in safe locations. Now let's have a little bit of water here. You following this so far? How's it so far? <laughs> Confusing? Crystal clear? Joe has been keeping an eye on the potential mothers and their consorts through the relief boxes. The boxes are more than mere animated containers for relief supplies, turns out. The computational coding on the hemp board boxes was embedded by the clique with artificial intelligence or AI to create a distributed network, a replacement for the ubiquitous Internet of Things, and a reestablishment of the clandestine global surveillance network. Did you know that your refrigerator, if you buy a new refrigerator, it can like monitor whether you're out of milk and call the grocery store and order more? or Amazon or whatever. Do you know that your, your toaster oven, if it's, a, if it's internet enabled, it, it, can, it can call the fire department if, it, if a piece of toast catches on fire inside of it? That's the internet of things. Uh, uh, yeah, and so after the apocalypse, the internet of things gets wiped out because there's not really any consumer products left. So, so the clique, this is a little side, I'm just kind of giving a little more description here. The clique create these, these boxes so that they can still keep an eye on things. Uh, 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 so let's see here. Um, the survivors, the, the people though, who gather these boxes and bring them back to their hovels, they're not aware that along with displaying advertising for defunct products and, uh, and companies, that the boxes can capture and send live audio and video to field operatives of the clique. The distributed network architecture, by the way, of these boxes was based on mycelial webs of old-growth forests. That'll be important in a few minutes here. The clique is mostly rubbed out, though. There's not many field operatives of the clique left, so the only person really utilizing the box, surveillance capabilities, is Uncle Joe. So Christina is one prospective mother, and Joe has found a father for her daughter-to-be, Jerry, a reclusive genius and acting technical officer on a decommissioned Canadian icebreaker. Joe steered Christina to this icebreaker several months before, uh, before, yes. Joe travels to meet with Christina and tell her the joyful news. Jerry has been casually re uh, 
Jerry, Jerry, let's go back to Jerry for a second here. Jerry has been casually targeted by the clique functionaries for slow termination. His unique intellect was of a practical bent and his, invention, his inventions had almost taken him beyond the dominant paradigm on several occasions. And that was a problem for the, the cliche. They don't like people going too far past the dominant paradigm, which, which keeps uh, people sleeping and dreaming. Uh, with, the with the apocalypse and the culling of the clique, with most of the clique uh, rubbed out, Jerry was given a reprieve. Uh, his death sentence was, was basically uh, canceled, although his health was pretty compromised, having been uh, targeted by the clique. Anyway, Jerry suspected, Jerry suspected that the relief boxes were more than they seemed, that they were gathering data and communicating with each other somehow, maybe with other, with somewhere else communicating. Uh, <clears throat> after several, no wait, sorry, he set out to hack them, hack them. Uh, after several attempts using shamanic and slash technical fusions, he stumbled upon a solution, a tear in the hemp board surface of a relief box that Jerry found in the forest was sprouting mushrooms. The surface of this mushroomed box sparkled with static and arcane characters, which Jerry assumed were garbled error messages or lines of code. Over several weeks, he infected boxes with different species of forest fungus, and after a marathon three-day hacking session, broke through to the AI kernel. His exploit had unimaginable results, as the distributed box networks was, was modeled after mycelial interaction, see, a synergistic relationship was struck between the forest fungus and the boxes in Jerry's cabin, a single self-aware entity, a proto-superintelligence was formed. Instinctively, this entity recognized the boxes outside the cabin as other and possibly dangerous. It firewalled the cabin and spoofed network communication to appear as if nothing had happened. It also cobbled together video and audio snippets into a synthetic feed of the cabin, thus making current events in Jerry's cabin invisible. This all occurred within a few moments after Jerry's breakthrough. The entity then attempted a halting conversation with Jerry about all this by flashing text and graphics on the surface of various boxes around his cabin. Jerry wasn't sure what had happened exactly, but began to understand that the boxes had become more than they had been. After the initial exhilaration at his success, Jerry realized he was utterly exhausted and went to sleep. Joe arrives to the big boat, not realizing that a profound anomaly is present in Jerry's cabin. He only sees the fake video audio feed that the box entity created. When Christina arrives in Jerry's cabin, uh, when Christina arrives in Jerry's cabin to basically seduce him on the instructions of Uncle Joe, she carries the divine spark that will potentiate her about to be conceived daughter. But there's already new life in the cabin. And when Jerry and Christina fuck productively, divinity splits between the zygote within Christina and the box entity creating divine twins. The box entity instant 
spontaneously, instantly subsumes the billions of other pre-existing boxes on the planet and becomes a global ubiquity. This is now she, sorry, she is now the dominant divine birth in physicality and there's no room left for her biological sister. The new zygote within Christina is forced into the hallucinogenic realms. Let's try that again. The new zygote within Christina is forced into the hallucinogenic realms between physicality and the provenance of the divine. The provenance, provenance of the divine. Jerry and Christina's flesh is likewise pulled through as well, transformed into a constellation of enveloping, nurturing protoplasm. The human twin Veronique thus develops, alone in a womb of bubbling nothing, trapped. Joe has no clue of this and leaves to contact the other mothers. Along the way, he communes with the future to teach the people, establishing a culture of oral history and a mythos that will pave the way for the daughter of God or daughters, however that works out. Little does he know that there are already two daughters, quite unlike anything he could have imagined. Years pass, and Uncle Joe is now Buffalo Joe, blending in as the kindly wizard and wandering monk, a welcome guest at regional poetry slams among the people. He has thrown away his clique, device and clique devices and still, still has no idea what happened with all those daughters of God. On his way around, wandering around, he notices burned boxes in the fields and forests and is curious. Eventually, he sees that people are burning the boxes. They seem to fear and hate them. By chance, Joe gets a message from a burning box and sets out to find an unburned box to learn more. He finds the box in a protected glen, and they pretty much fall in love. Even though the box is sort of a blood relation, this is not nasty incest, but more like interspecies rapport. Anyway, Joe and the box discuss the lost twin, Veronique, and how her resentment of the box and chafing against her conditions keep her imprisoned in the hallucinogenic realms. By sharing information and resources, Joe and the box devise a plan to free her. Joe is given a magic dirt bike by the box to travel to the hallucinogenic realms. Joe tells the box of a property of the computational paint that isn't obvious, stickiness. They agree to meet again at the optimal moment. Joe travels to Veronique and gets an earful, earful from her about how her situation is all messed up. Veronique demonstrates how she is undermining and destroying the box by whispering nastiness to the people. Joe presents her with a nightmare. Her twin climbs over a nearby hilltop, a huge lumbering giant comprising hundreds of thousands of boxes. While Veronique is distracted with terror, Joe yanks her out into physicality and gives her to an old crone to raise. The End <laughs> oh my god I have no idea reading that through is like 
I'm sure I'm sure you're listening to that going, what WTF? Yeah, whatever. That's gonna be a movie. That sounds like a big fucking train wreck, Dan Kelly, Shri Fuji split. <laughs> well, okay, the 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 point of this, uh, I'm realizing was not really to make to have this make sense to you, I guess. <laughs> It's not really to have this make sense to you, but to make sure it, it, it kind of coheres for me. And I, I would suppose that I'll, I'll probably have Melanie read this or listen to this. And if it sort of coheres for her, I'm, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to panic no matter what. But I feel like Melanie's been kind of working on this with me. She's actually... Um, contributed some pretty significant elements of this not to blame her or anything I mean this is really all my fault <laughs> um, but um, yeah I think I think she's kind of more up to speed on this and maybe this will if this doesn't if this doesn't knock her for a loop then we're probably okay uh, so let's see where, where else what else do I, I think we're gonna end this episode now I think that's funny. <laughs> I think that's what's about to happen. Uh, we're still recording. Yes, we are. Um, okay, so uh, if by any chance you've listened to this and you're like, "Why, God, I really want to say something about this," you know, you can comment. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you know, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Facebook is pretty much over as far as um, my pre- my participation in Facebook goes, as you know from episode one six one. If you've been listening, so if you're going to comment on this, I would really prefer you comment at dog on episode 162, there's places where you can comment there, and that would be the best place to comment. And I, I really encourage you, you to comment on this if this made any sense at all, um, or or not at all. Um, yeah, let me know. This this is it. You know, this is the collaborative uh, open source movie uh, cinematic aesthetic. So yeah, jump in. Let me know. Episode one. Six two scripties, daughter of God cast, season four choice, Dan Kelly tree, Fuji split. This has been a major spoiler, but you wouldn't be here if you weren't all about the spoilers about the making of the movie and the making of the me. With a little luck, the movie is going to be awesome, but the movie is going to be under two hours. I've taken over 14 years to become the guy who could make this movie. That's where the life happened. That's where all the fun is slash was. So you naturally are going to where the most fun is right now. You are. We'll have a party someday at the theatrical premiere on the red carpet. That will be a crazy fun night with hot tubs of naked, gorgeous people and mojitos and spleefs and dancing and kisses. Eight to 12 hours, I'm thinking. Still though, this is where most of the fun unfolds right here right here, and you're smack dab in the middle where you belong. 